So James chapter number 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields which is of you kept back by fraud crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. You can be seated this morning. Heavenly Father, help us now, we do ask. If you don't help us, Lord, all this will be a mess and in vain this morning. We need a touch from on high. Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. What I would like to do, if I could uh, give you a little quick uh, background to this epistle that uh, we find here. James has made this statement in chapter number 1. I'm going to read to you a few verses here in chapter number 1, starting in verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, it's not my endeavor this morning to start from the first verse of the first chapter and run through the whole book, but I do want us to understand the context here of what this, uh, who this epistle is written to. Now, we understand that uh, the Bible says here to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. This is not just specifically written to the children of Israel, but specifically to the children of Israel, the Jew that had been saved by the grace of God, understanding that the church, as we've been talking about, was established in the uh, first uh, chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And uh, the church being established, we understand it was an outreach that started at Jerusalem and moved outwardly into all of the world. And as the Jew began to get saved by the grace of God, we understand that uh, the churches began to grow and, and to be built in local assemblies across uh, the world, okay, and primarily starting in the region of Jerusalem and moving outward. But the, this epistle that James has written says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting my brethren. So we're talking to the saved Jew here. Uh, Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have our perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so I want to I call your attention to something that James is making note of uh, in the first portion of this epistle. It's first saying, know this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So he's talking to someone who's saved but not been saved for a long period of time. This is the, the onset of the church, if you will, and he's talking to young converts. And what he's saying is here, my brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He's making it known that there's going to be a trying of your faith. I'll say this, when you get saved by the grace of God, it's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing to know that you've escaped damnation, you've escaped hell, you'll not have to go to the bottomless pit uh, to, to burn forevermore and to be separated from God. But we do know that there is a trying of our faith. We do understand that, that we will have to contend with that of, of the devil and we will have to contend with the flesh and we will, have the, uh, to have, we will have a working of patience. He said, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So the trying of our faith is for not, it's not for naught. It's for a purpose and it worketh patience. Have you ever had anything happen in your life that you would really like to have got through it? You really would like to have been on the other end of it but for whatever reason, you seem to be stuck slap in the middle of it and uh, there's something happening here. And it's a, it's a working. And it says, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. In other words, as we, and this wasn't part of the message, but just bear with me this morning, as we are in the middle of the trial or in the middle of whatever it is that's trying our faith, wanting to be out on the other side of that thing, there is something that the Lord is doing in the middle of what is going on in your life. And so James is telling these young converts, he says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so how is it that the trying of our faith can be effectual to the point that you and I are in want of nothing. It would seem that a trying of our faith, we would want to be on the other side of it. But what he's essentially saying is get all out of it, get out of it what the Lord has for you in this time. And I'll say this, the Lord's teaching us something in every area and aspect of our life if we'll be open to receive the lessons that the Lord wants to teach us in the times that we live. And the lessons that we learn today will help us and be effectual for tomorrow, all right? And so having said that, let's take a look at this uh, in chapter four. Now, I'm, I'm going to be in chapter five, but I want to give you uh, these first or last five verses of chapter four to help us launch into chapter number five. Now, James chapter four and verse number 13 Understanding that this chapter up until this point is dealing with that of worldliness. And uh, we understand that uh, it's very easy in our flesh to get carnal and live a worldly life. And so I don't intend to go through all of that. But as we deal with, with him rebuking this worldliness, we get into verse 13. And the Bible says, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now what was it that he said in chapter number one? But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Well, he is now addressing a, pre a people that is desirous of gain. All right, so follow along here. Verse 14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. 
So we see that there's a plan. They have a plan. These, this people uh, that uh, James is addressing says, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. They're making a preparation for tomorrow so that they can have gain. All right? It says, Whereas ye know not for what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? James is saying you're making preparation You're making plans, you're working for your future on a world level, but in all reality, you don't know what your tomorrow holds, okay? It says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Now, something that the Lord brought to my attention as I read this verse probably just to throw a number out there, a millionth time, I've read, this is a very familiar verse of scripture, but notice that the Bible says it is even a vapor. Your life is a vapor that appeareth for a little time. This vapor appears. It can be seen, but for a little time. What's that mean? Do you know what a vapor is that can that, that, that appears that you can see? I'm not talking about just uh, you know, the, you, you don't see the uh, effects of the 100 degree weather pulling the moisture out of the ground. You don't see that with your eye. You just know if it doesn't rain for a long period of time that eventually the ground's going to be dry and we're going to be in need of rain because the earth will start to crack, right? It'll start to bust and it, it needs water. But you, doesn't, you don't see that transition. You don't, you don't see that effect. But the Bible says here it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the fog of life. And essentially, when you get into a fog, here's the interesting thing about fog. You're in the middle of it, right? You and I are right in the middle of our life. We're just doing what we do. But our life is a vapor that is appearing for a little while. In other words, we see what's going on in our life, but other people aren't paying attention to us. When you're in the midst of a fog, people can't see you and you can't see them. You seems like all you get caught up in is what's going on in your little world but, and other people that's in that fog of life are caught up in their little world but they're not paying attention to you and you're not paying attention to them. And can I say, in a fog, you cannot see what lies ahead. He says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. So when you're in the middle of this fog, you do not see what lies ahead. But guess what? You can't look back and see what's behind you, in front of you, beside you, or anything else. And because no one can see you when you're gone, nobody's going to care. Now, that doesn't mean that the church won't care, or we wouldn't care if something happened to you, but I mean in the grand scale and scheme of things, if I died tomorrow, you might weep and cry for me a little while, but the world's not going to care. It's going to keep on spinning and turning and doing what it does. The commerce will keep, listen, Blunt County won't slow down a bit when I'm gone. And, and my job, it might affect them for a day or two, but they'd find somebody eventually to come in and do what I do. All right, and so the Bible says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Have you ever noticed how the fog sets in in the morning? 
and uh, how when you get up and you're trying to get to work early in the morning and the fog is up and it's thick and you can't see anything, but by noonday when the, when the temperature warms up and, and the day progresses, it's just the fog is gone. As quickly as it come, it's gone. That's how our life is this morning. It says, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. All right, and so I thought also about this, this, this vapor. Do you know that a fog, of course, is moisture, and it either comes from the, the rivers and the creeks or it comes from the ground, right, uh, the moisture that's in the ground. You and I are dirt and water. The majority of our body is just water, and the remainder of it is just old dirt. And so it's, it's, it's fog that we're doing here. So for you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And so James is saying what you really ought to do is say if it's the Lord's will. So in other words, he's trying to put them in, uh, in, in a mind frame of considering what the Lord's will would be for them rather than just assuming that they're going to continue to do this or to do that. You and I are very, uh, uh, it's very easy for us to get up in the morning and make plans and preparations not only for today, not only for the week, or the month, but for the year, and we're looking out, we look at our 401ks or maybe a retirement plan. I mean, we're planning for the future, right? But we don't know. If, and listen, I got a, a, I found out just this week at work, a gentleman that I knew, 27 years old, was coming home from Chattanooga, coming up Highway 11 back into Sweetwater, crossed the double yellow line, had a head-on collision, and was dead just like that. I mean, just like that. And just the night before, he had went by and visited his mama and daddy, and his mama had made him a carrot cake, and he was on his way home from work that evening to drop by his mama's house and get the carrot cake and take it home. She had it waiting on him, but he never got there to receive it. And so what are you saying? I'm saying that just like that, life is over, right? And so we make these plans, but we're not planning for the right things a lot of the time. It says, for that you ought to say it, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, for you ought to do this, you ought to consider the Lord's will. But now, rather than doing what you ought to do, what you're doing is, you're, what you're doing is rejoicing in your boastings. Well, what, let's look at the word rejoice for just a moment. Rejoice is to be exhilarated with lively, pleasurable sensations. Okay? And so we understand that they were exhilarated, excited. They were excited about what they were going to do. They were excited about the plans that they were making. They were excited about the outcome of the plans that they were making. All right, but they were not considering that their life was just as quickly as it come, it would be gone. It says, for ye ought to say. Then it says, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. What is boastings? Boasting is ostentatious display of personal worth or actions vaunting. Well, what is ostentatious? Ostentatious is fond of presenting one's endowments or works to others in an advantageous light. You know, it seems to me like we're looking here, and what we're going to find is when we get into chapter 5, James is going to deal with riches, okay? 
But right now he's warning here and he's, he's making it known that, that what these people were planning for and what these folk were boasting about wasn't just, just, just life, but it was the things that life was bringing to them personally. What they could get out of living, what they could get out of life, what life could do for them. A lot of times we live our life with a mindset, what can life do for me? Not what I can do for someone else with this life. All right, and so ostentatious is fond of presenting one's endowments or works to others. So in other words, they were, they were taking their plans and their future and what they were longing to do with their future and the gain that they would get from this planning and they were boasting in it to the point that almost they was just excited to be able to show what they had. Listen, my wife and I were talking just the other night about somebody in particular that we know that has that attribute. Loves to get things, but it's not just so they can get it, but it's so they can show it to everybody once they've got it. I mean, it's, it drives me absolutely crazy. I mean, if you've got something, I'm proud for you, but you don't have to rub it in everybody's nose all the time. And you shouldn't desire to have more just so that you can show somebody what you've got. I'm proud for you if you've got something. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I mean, people just want, 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 and then they're ostentatious. They want to show it, and they want to have more. They're keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. Have you ever seen that battle that goes on? It's really bad in, in places of employment. You'll see people try to climb the corporate ladder just to have more. This person will buy something and then this person has to go and top it. I've got gentlemen that I know in the place where I work that have have fell into that thing. You know, somebody gets something and somebody else wants something bigger and the next part before you know it, there's just a war back and forth on who's got the best. And it's really just a waste of money and it's vanity and it's for naught. All right, and so what you find here is it says, um, but now you rejoice in your boastings. Oh, see, so ostentatious, uh, or vaunting, excuse me, said boasting is uh, ostentatious display of personal worth or actions, vaunting. What is vaunting? Setting forth what one is or has. I shouldn't set forth what I am because what I am, I am by the grace of God, but I am nothing. So I have nothing to, sh- to boast in of myself, say Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I certainly have no right to boast about what, uh, what I do own or what I do possess because, friend, I only have what I have because God has allowed me to have it. Now, there are some things that a man can get that God allows you to have it, but it wasn't God's will for you to get it. You need to understand that. And a lot of times that, that'll go back to that getting what you want till it runs out your nostrils mentality. You know, and so, uh, but anyway, we find here, as he makes this statement, he says, now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him uh, it is sin. All right, and so now this kind of lays the groundwork for what we find in chapter number five. And what what really just struck me ironic is as I've kind of looked at these verses and considered these verses, and truthfully felt a pull towards these verses but didn't quite understand it and just really had to make sure this is where God wanted me to be. I spoke to Brother Gene on the phone uh, the other night after he had had his treatment. And uh, I gave him a ring just to see how he was doing because Brother Gene gets really sick most of the time after he has a, a treatment. And so I just called to talk to him a few minutes and make small talk. And I told him before I got off the phone, I said, if you need anything, let me know. And Brother Gene 
being the way Brother Gene is, always cracking a joke, says, well, if you, find, if you got a million and a half, I could use some of it. And I made the funny back to him. I said, well, if I ever find a million and a half, I'll split it with you. How's that? And Brother Gene, saying what he said next, didn't understand even what, uh, what he had said, but he said to me, he said, no, I don't need nothing like that because if I got something like that, I'd be out of, I'd be out of church in, within two weeks. And he wasn't meaning it literal, and he was just playing along, and we were just joking. But I began to think about, in his back of his mind, he actually understood something he didn't even realize that he was saying. He understood the severity of what it is to rely upon what we have rather than rely upon God. And, and in his jokingly mindset, and as he was just cutting up, there was a little wisdom that, fell through on that and more the Lord for some reason just drove that in me and I have I've not been able to get away from it so as we as we look here and we uh, go into verse number one James says go to now ye rich men weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Is it not interesting here that the Bible says, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries. Have you ever uh, seen a person that was very wealthy? And, and listen, we could define wealth this morning as someone that has a million and a half dollars in the bank and, and lives on a lakefront property on the side of a bluff overlooking the lake and act like that's rich. But in all honesty, you and I are very rich this morning. You, every one of us, I believe, ought to have the opportunity at least once, Brother Shane, to go to a third world country and watch people dig out of a trash can. I believe it would change our mindset and our attitude about what we have in the land in which we live in today. All right? But, but, but having said that, it says, Ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. That means something is lying out there in the future you haven't witnessed or endured yet. What was it that we just found in the first or the last five verses of chapter four? Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. All they could think about was the gain and what the gain would do for them out in the future. So they were they were boasting about what they had and what they were going to gain. But when we get over here uh, in chapter number five, he says, "Ye rich men weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you." So he's trying to get them to reconsider and think about the future, but not in the context or the light in which they were looking at it. He says, "Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered." And the rest of them shall be a witness against you. Now, I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to this, but have you ever noticed real silver? Real silver, I'm not talking about the fake stuff. I mean real silver, it tarnishes. You can take real silver and leave it alone to the elements of this world and it looks awful in a, in a, in a certain period of time. And it takes someone taking care of it and paying attention to it and keeping it wiped off and clean or whatever you do to silver to keep it from tarnishing. But silver, even in its worth, will tarnish. 
but it happens over a period of time. All right, and so what's interesting is your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Well, the gold and silver that they had maybe at that moment wasn't cankered. Maybe it did not have any rust. Maybe the effects of the elements of the world hadn't done what it was what, what, what James is warning them about. Because James is trying to get them to see out there in the future. James is trying to get them to look out there uh, far off, if you will. Well, what does what the Bible say? Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. What, how, how is the gold and silver going to be a witness against someone? Because when, when the flesh is dead and gone, you ain't taking the gold and the silver with you. So in other words, you've left out, but the gold and silver is still here on God's earth. God's elements are still in God's earth. But there's no one to take care of all that one desire or one had. And all the desires that one have is still here, but the person that desired them is now gone. And it's laid there to canker and to rust and to uh, tarnish. So your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you. Well, the first person that walks by and sees the tarnished uh, silver or gold or whatever, it's a testament to the fact that all, this, all these things that this individual had and left behind is now gone, but it did them no good. It did them no good. And uh, it shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Now, something that caught my attention was this matter of riches, this matter of flesh, this matter of fire. Now, you would agree with me that hell is a real place. And hell is mentioned in the Word of God. And you and I know that any man, woman, boy, or girl that doesn't accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that knows that they're a sinner or is going to hell when they die should they not call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that. We, we, one must have faith in, in what the finished work of Calvary and get saved to escape this place called hell. But the one instance that we find in Scripture that goes in detail about an individual that died and lifted his eyes in hell happened to be a rich man. Out of all the people that have died down through the ages, Brother Shane, and hit the pits of hell, the one that the Lord left for us to glean from and to read about happened to be a rich man. Now, that's, that's, that's uh, serious. Let me read to you, if I can, Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. The Bible says, again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Why is that so? Is it because a man that has great wealth is in a, has not the ability to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Of course not. Jesus died for whosoever will. The, the dangerous part is the fact that a person that has great wealth and great riches relies upon that great wealth and those great riches for their pleasure, for their enjoyment, 
for their social status. In other words, everything they are and who they are is wrapped up in their riches. That's why the rich man, the Bible says, lift his eyes in hell. Did you know this morning that the, the man that was in hell that the Bible tells us about in the Gospel of Luke was still called a rich man? He did not lose his status as that of a rich man, although he did not have his riches with him anymore. The legacy that he had followed him to hell. And I'll say this, you cannot take the riches with you, but the legacy of the riches will follow one straight to hell. And although you're gone, could be gone, lost in a nun and in the pits of hell, people still remember you for your wealth. What good did it do you? What good would it, what, what good would it, what good is it for? You say, well, preacher, everybody's saved here this morning. Well, I'll say this, we still don't know what tomorrow holds. And you and I still need to understand that our sufficiency is of God. It does not lie within what we have or what we hope to have. All right, so let's continue to look here. Uh, it says, behold, the, the, let's see here, your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last day. In other words, collected in great quantity. And so here's what I want us to see. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 12 for just a moment. Luke chapter number 12. All right, Luke chapter number 12, and let's read here uh, verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Notice that in this parable which the Lord is speaking of, this man is already rich. Before the parable even really gets going, before the thrust of the message that's being sent out, the man already has notoriety for being a man of wealth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Notice that part. I do, because I have no room where to bestow any fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Now, I've often wondered why he was pulling down barns. His idea, his plan was to pull down barns and build bigger barns because he had no room to store all of his goods. If he didn't have any room to store all that he had, why tear down the barns? He was going to tear down and have bigger barns. He wasn't satisfied with the barns that he had, but he wanted bigger barns. Not add an extra barn, not, not build an addition onto the barn I've already got, but I'm going to go ahead and tear down what I've got and get bigger barns. You know, there's a lot of people wasting a lot of things that they've been given just to get more. In the name of having more, we're wasting what we already have in order to get more. And, and we're not being stewards of what God has entrusted us with. 
Now, I'm not trying to get you this morning and uh, to go home and sell what you've got or, or give away everything that, that you've been given or worked for. But I'm telling you that our mindset today should not be that of trying to gain more so that we can have a more pleasurable life upon this earth and waste what God has given us just for the sake of trying to have more. Now, I still believe seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. I still believe that God will take care of those that are serious about taking care of the work of the ministry and loving Him and understanding that what we have isn't ours, it's just borrowed anyway. We fail to understand sometimes that what we have is really not ours, it's His. But there's nothing in this parable about this rich man considering that of the Lord. He only considered what he had as not being good enough and wanting more, but wasting what he had to try to get more. A lot of us are wasting what we've got today trying to get more. Instead of using what we have in the appropriate manner, and if the Lord could trust us with more, Brother Shane, I firmly believe the Lord would give us more. I'm not preaching to you a prosperity gospel, and I'm not saying give us more to do more with for ourselves. But I believe if He'd trust us with what we've got to do for Him, He'd give us more to do for Him. He would entrust us with more for His name's sake. So it says here, and the thought, if I can find my place, verse 17 in chapter 12 of Luke says, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that the, the, isn't that the, the idea today that most people live by in the nation in which we're from? It says, but God said unto him, thou fool. <laughs> That's pretty staunch words, is it not? A man that has desires to, to have more but wasting what he has to try to gain more for his own pleasure so that he can live the life of ease. Simply the Bible says, Jesus says, the Lord says, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. I want to say this. Not only did he waste his money to have more, but he wasted all of his time. He wasted all of his money trying to have more, but he wasted all the time that he had to use the money and the, the goods, rather, that the Lord had given him, the riches that the Lord had given him for a greater cause. Now, I, I firmly believe a man should take care of his family and his family should be fed and clothed. And, and you know, I've often said the Bible teaches that a man that won't work and take care of his family and his home is worse than an infidel. I'm not saying that we ought to be bums and lay up on the couch eating potato chips and watching TV. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about living a life of ease. It's about providing for your family, but it not all being about what the world can do for you, but what you can do in this world. All right, and so the, the Bible says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Well, that takes us right back over here to James, where it says, Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. 
and shall eat your flesh as it were. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Well, that rich man left his eyes in hell and all of his hope, faith, and trust in his wealth. But we find that, that Lazarus was at the gate. And, and we understand that the dogs licked his sores. And he didn't have anything. But we understand that when he, become, when he went to paradise and was in the bosom of Abraham, the rich man wanted Lazarus to go back and to, to, to speak to his brothers. Why? Because he didn't want them to fall into that place of torment. But we understand that, that Abraham said in your lifetime, in the rich man's lifetime, he had things well, but not so for Lazarus. But now Lazarus is comforted, but now you're in torment. What happened was he was planning for his future, but he was making the wrong plans. And I fear that sometimes in our, in our mindset and in our ideas of trying to plan for our future, we are not planning in the right manner. All right, and so we can't take anything with us when we go, right? You say, well, I want to leave something for my children. I want to leave something for my kids. I want to leave an inheritance to them. We're leaving the wrong kind of inheritance today as well. And when you live for things and you don't live for God, what happens is, friend, your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you. You may leave a pile to your kids, but the inheritance that you left them was that your things meant more to you than the things of God. Then they in a vicious cycle go and do the same things. Can I say to you, I never had a rich uncle that left me a million. I didn't get an inheritance from my grandparents or my parents. What I'm saying to you is though the Lord took care of me in spite of it, it, it's not about those things. Boy, the worst family feuds and bickering and fighting you've ever seen was over things. It's never, it's always amazing me. Someone it can't be buried more than 24 hours and the family's already fighting about who gets what. Sounds to me like people's got their minds on the wrong kind of inheritance. And it's, it's, it's that common. I'm talking about people that go to church. I'm talking about people that were raised right, acting a fool over things that are, that are monetary. That half of them is going to spend and blow for the cash anyway because it didn't have any sentimental value to them to begin with. That was free, that part. All right, so the Bible says, Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields. Verse 4, James 5 and 4. So behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord, Sabaoth. Now that word Sabaoth means armies or host. So you, you wouldn't be doing any harm to the scripture to say the Lord of armies or Lord of hosts. Why is that important? Why, why is that there? Because we find in verse 5, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. What happens with armies and battles? Death and blood is shed. Now we see the Lord as mercy and we see the Lord as grace, but we forget to see him as judgment. 
And so what we're finding here says, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you, kept back by fraud cries. Well, a wealthy man that had great fields and had great barns and had, 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 had lots of land and great riches normally had people working in the fields for him. See, he wasn't the one out there doing all the work or breaking all the sweat. He was the one getting the gain and the increase from the hands of the one that didn't have a whole lot. And so what's being said here is, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud crieth. In other words, the, the, the gain that you got from your hired servants wasn't good enough. You fraud, defrauded them out of what you could to gain even more. You ever seen good Christian people that love the Lord that go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, sell somebody something that was tore up but not tell them about it just so they could get full value out of it? You ever seen somebody sell somebody an old shotgun, you know, that, oh, buddy, this is a good one right here and the thing won't even shoot? Or how about an old coon dog that's, you know, that's a... That's a, coon dog, that's a coon hunting hound dog right there. I want $500 for him. But I didn't, he didn't tell him that he slick treed every tree in the county. It's, 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 it's fraud. And people do it not even thinking about it because they're trying to get all they can out of something that isn't worth much. And here we got, we got this measly little bit of money that you might pay this servant or this one that you've hired to do this work and we're going to try to fraud them out of as much of it as we can. Friend, I'm going to be honest with you, this, this is not that far from home right here this morning. You and I have the potential of doing these very things. It says, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, Christ, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of hosts. In other words, the Lord hears the cries of the ones that was done wrong, and the judgment comes on the ones that did the wrong. Now, I want to, I want to, let's continue on here. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. What does this wanton mean? What, what is, what is, what did uh, James say over here in chapter number one? He says, but let patience have our perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting Nothing. Wanton and wanting isn't the same thing. And what we find here is verse 5 of chapter 5 of the book of James, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. The definition of wanton is wandering from moral rectitude, licentious, indulging in sensuality without restraint. That sounds a lot like the man that took his father's inheritance and went to the far country to enjoy all that he could get from the riches that his father had offered him. You and I have a relationship, you say, by the grace of God with the Father. But sometimes we become wanton. And we wander from our moral rectitude And we want the things that God offers us or gives us or the inheritance, so to speak, and we go and run off and squander that thing. You know what I began to think about and have thought about for the last couple of weeks concerning this this, uh, father and his son and the inheritance that his father had given his son? The son got himself in some serious trouble 
that he could not have got himself into had he not had the father's money. Say, so what do you mean? For everything good that the father could have done for the son through that inheritance, it also was the very thing that afforded him the ability to do all that he had done wrong. You know what you and I do sometimes? We abuse the inheritance that God has given us. And sometimes the inheritance that was left of us and the things that accompany our salvation, you and I take those good gifts that should be used and could be used in the right way. And it affords us the ability to go and use them in the wrong way. Well, what blessings God has bestowed on us, church. How blessed we are this morning to be in God's house with clothes on our back, shoes on our feet, fine families, food on our table. Far as I know, no one's hungry this morning, yet we take the things that God has given us and we use them for our own pleasure and for worldliness, friend, and we squander it. And then rather than we start out being wanton, but the next thing you know, we're wanting. Everything, all the inheritance that that young man got uh, from his father, he wasted it. And he left wanton, but he come back wanting. And I'm afraid some of us today, we don't have to be wanton. And we don't have to be wanting, praise God, because we serve a Savior that feeds the sparrows and he's not going to let you and I go without what we need. We do not have to be in want, but we will be in want if we have the attitude of wantonness. All right, and so I thought about uh, just what it is to be Listen, licentious let me give you the definition of that real quick licentious is indulging freedom to excess wanton is licentious licentious is indulging freedom to excess unrestrained you and I have the liberty and the freedom to go out and do what we want to the father didn't make the son stay he gave to the son because it was his son. But his son left the, the farm and went to the far country and wasted all that he had that all his father had given him. And you and I abuse the blessings of God from time to time. And we get indulgent and we take our freedom and we indulge in our freedom to excess unrestrained. You know what happens to us? We, if we're not careful, we get in this mindset of more, more, more. I want, I want, I want. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And there's no restraint. Nothing ever says to us, enough is enough. What are you doing with what you've got now? You know, I won't lie to you. There's times when I find myself having to put the brakes on or the Holy Ghost of God rips up the emergency brake and says, hey, wait just a minute. You've got that because I give it to you. And I fear sometimes, Brother Shane, that I've not got any more than what I've got sometimes because what he's given me, I've not been the steward of it that he wanted me to be. But if I'd be the steward that God wanted me to be, how much more could I do for the cause of Christ? 
If my heart and my desire was not to have more for my own pleasure, but to get more and have more so that I could offer it to the one that give everything for it, how much more would he bless us with to do more in his name? And so I want us to think about it this morning for just a little while. Are we wanting? Are we in need this morning? Is it, are you in need because you've wasted what God has given you? I won't lie to you, there's been some times in my history that I found myself in need because of the actions that I made with the things that God had entrusted me with and found that I turned around in need and had to go back to God and say, Lord, I need your help. And then I had to think about it. He already gave me the help, but I wasted it. Proverbs 28 Verse 10 says, Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. Now we're contrasting the rich and the poor right here. And we see that the rich man is wise in his own conceit. Why so? Because we've just learned that the rich man most of the time, Brother Shane, puts his trust in his riches and not God. And his desire is to have more riches, not God. God's not a consideration when the riches are in consideration. And so we, we see this contrast between rich and poor. And, and listen, I, I thought about, I thought about, I can't remember the guy's name now. He done a documentary on the people of Appalachia. And the whole point and the whole the thrust of his show or this documentary was to talk about how the poor people are the ones that, that are uh, the, the, the Bible Belt area, if you will, uh, are the ones that are ignorant. And basically tried to relate their, their, uh, their, their poor uh, financial status, if you will, to their religious belief and make a mockery out of God and religion. And basically tried to make it seem as if those that, uh, and listen, the people that they were interviewing, the thrust of the video was these were happy people. They were not, they were not unhappy people. They didn't, they, had, they, they, were, they didn't have much, but they weren't unhappy people. And the point was, they was trying, this, this person that was, uh, giving this, uh, that was narrating this, if you will, was playing it down and making fun of these people and trying to make it seem like you have to be dumb or a hick or a hillbilly or, or poor and not have anything to be somebody that believes in the Lord. And that, that, that you must, they were trying to relate a low IQ to, to the idea that, that, that God is Savior, Jesus as you say just trying to make a mockery out of it all, but I, I started thinking about this. And I thought about this verse of Scripture. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. You know why poor people are happier than rich people? Because they have put their trust in something other than riches. They have been forced to rely on the Lord because they didn't have anything on their own accord to rely on. 
I dare say that if some of us were forced today to rely on God and not our wealth, it would change our relationship with the Lord. Now, if you are in the sound of my voice and you could admit to yourself this morning that if you did not have the financial income that you have today, and you was not sure come Friday how you were going to pay your bills, if it would change your relationship with the Lord, then you're in a dangerous place this morning of having the Lord take away from you what you already have to get you to the place where he wants you to be. But if you could forget what you have as being yours and start looking at what you have as his and become thankful and ask the Lord what you could do with what you have, then you probably don't have anything to worry about with him jerking away from you what you have. And that's not prosperity gospel, but that's you putting your money and your wealth and your riches in its appropriate place. All right, it says, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as a day of slaughter. I thought about, I, I thought about that word slaughter. And here again, I, I don't mean to get on the agricultural scene, but the cow that's destined for the slaughterhouse tonight is laid up under a tree right now chewing its cud, not thinking anything about it. That cow's just enjoying life drinking water and looking for the greenest grass it can find. And when that cow gets its belly full, it's going to find it a shady spot out of the sun. It's going to lay down there and it's going to chew its cud and enjoy its life, not having any recollection of what, or have any idea of what's coming for it this evening. This is exactly what the rich man is doing. Enjoying all he can today laying up what he can for tomorrow, not knowing what's coming today, tonight. He says, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nursed your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Let me read you uh, one more verse of scripture, and we'll be done this morning, okay? It says, uh, Proverbs 18, verse number 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous... Righteous runneth into it and is safe. Now, now, I want you to notice something. A strong tower. Do you know what a tower was used for in the Old Testament? Now, we've talked about walls, and we've talked about how the walls were to protect those that were on the inside from the enemy that was on the outside. But the tower was something you could get into and see a great distance. Now, you and I, we're talking about our life being but a vapor. It's, it's a fog. We're, we're, our life's a fog. We cannot see in front of us, to our side or behind us. But the Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. In the name of the Lord and through the Lord's word, you and I can see what we ought to see. We can rise above the fog, if you will, and see out in, the fr out in front of us. But we have to do it through the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is saved. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. And as a high wall in his own conceit. You know why it's, it's easier for a camel to pass through the needle of an eye than it is for a rich man to get to heaven? 
Because the riches of this world has such a drawing power and we lose sight of the fact that we need the Lord still yet. And someone that's born into riches and born into wealth, God help them. I was born into a family that didn't have a whole lot. And I was born into a family that had to work from paycheck to paycheck. And I've seen the times when my grandfather did not know how he was going to make his annual payments for the farm debt he had incurred to buy equipment he needed to keep the farm functioning. But I've also seen the Lord take care of some of those things in a manner that even he did not have no idea how it was going to happen. I've seen times when he's went into equipment dealerships to tell them that he could not make his annual payment on that piece of equipment and that person told him to his face that debt has been paid in full. To this day, no one knows who it was that paid for that expensive piece of equipment, but he never had to pay for it. And so what I'm saying to you is he lived a life where he had to rely on the Lord. I'm not telling you the purpose to put yourself in a position of stupidity. We are to be good stewards of what God has given us. But I'm also saying that I feel far more privileged, Brother Shane, to have grown up in that environment than to have grown up with a silver spoon in my mouth and to have all the money that I, that I would never be able to spend in this lifetime. For I fear that that money would have kept me out of the kingdom of heaven. And as dangerous as that is, you and I must be aware and pay close attention to what it is for us to rely upon our riches and our wealth and for the desire to have more than what we have. When we desire to have more, we should always be considering what, how God plays into that. All right, sister, if you'll come, let's all stand.